there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. If you're interested in video or filmmaking or podcasting, and you happen to be an adrenaline junkie, then this is the episode for you because my next guest has done all of that and more. But before I introduce you to Marion Abrams, I want to make sure that you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and it gives you an exclusive peek inside the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. All you need to do is go to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my wonderful next guest is Marion Abrams, a digital marketer, filmmaker, and podcaster with a diverse background in documentary filmmaking, outdoor sports, and advertising. Most recently, in 2005, Marion developed and launched the Spartan Up podcast and YouTube channel with the Spartan Race founder and CEO Joe DeSina, as well as a diverse group of co-hosts. To date, they have interviewed hundreds of guests, including Richard Branson, authors Stephen Pressfield and Gary Vaynerchuk, and Tim Ferriss. The show has over 16 million downloads and views and is in the top 5% of all podcasts. I am extremely envious and I know there's so much I can learn from Marion. I also want to let all of you know that I am currently in the middle of like a construction zone around where I live. And so if you hear hammering and buzz saws, I apologize and I hope it doesn't get to be too distracting. Marion is also an expert interviewer, and you are welcome to check out more on that subject and more at madmotion.com. And if you want to know how to break into these various industries, filmmaking, podcasting, and all of that, check out the show notes as well to see if Marion's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. Marion, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I well, I hope so. I'm doubly caffeinated. Yes, you are doubly caffeinated. And as you told me before we started recording, you woke up this morning at 4am. I normally wake up at 530. So it wasn't too much earlier. But I have so much going on. I woke up at four thinking about things I needed to do. And I finally just got out of bed. Oh, God, I am so sorry. Well, We've already recorded the Espresso Shots episode, and honestly, I would not have known that you were running on such little sleep if you hadn't told me. So I am so excited to have this opportunity, Marion, to get more into what you are doing right now as the producer and the videographer of the Spartan Up podcast and YouTube channel. It's really incredible. I understand there are now six weekly shows that are dropping six days a week. Yeah, we're really lucky with the hosts we have. So we have our original show, which is every Tuesday, and that's the founder and CEO of Spartan, Joe DeSena. He interviews a wide variety of people, all successful people in their own fields to see how they got there, what secrets they have, how we can implement that into our own lives. And then we also have 
On Mondays, we have an incredible speaker on leadership. On Wednesdays, we have a psychologist who, it's a show called Spartan Mind. She helps keep your mind straight. We have a strength coach on Thursdays, really a motivational coach as well. On Fridays, we have interviews with athletes. And on Sundays, we have a holistic doctor. So the idea is to be your partner in resilience for mind and body to help you achieve your goals. There's an expression that you're the average of your five best friends, but not everybody can choose who they surround themselves with. And so we're kind of like your virtual friends that will keep you on track and help you achieve your goals with those little reminders every day. And how is it even possible that you're only five years old and you've already gotten 16 million downloads and views? Well, I guess if you have six episodes a week, that helps increase your numbers. We do have a lot of play on our YouTube channel. That's been a big part of those numbers. Incredible. So Marion, what are you doing on an average day, maybe a day when you're filming Joe's show for Spartan Up? But give us a sense of what your various responsibilities are. Well, I saw your question before the interview about an average day, and I tried to give it a little thought. And I started kind of taking some notes to run through what an average day is because there's so much going on. And the first thing I'll say is there's never an average day. But some of the things that happen commonly on a day, I usually start at about 5.30 and I will just check to make sure the new episode's published properly, check in, uh, see if there's any fires to put out, especially because the company has an international and a West Coast component. So there might be things I missed from the day before. And then I'll take a break and spend time with my family. And then around 8.30, I'll pick it up again. And there's usually a lot of phone calls, there's a lot of planning, there's production and post-production. So I might be talking to our content team to see how we can align what's happening in the podcast with what's happening in other parts of the company's content. I might be checking in with the CEO if he has a new project or a new idea or we're scheduling a shoot. I might be checking in with the sponsorship team, either because they're selling a new sponsor or there's content that I need to create specifically for sponsors. I might be checking in with the hosts to make sure they're up to date on the content or to schedule shoots with our leadership team. I could be planning when we do record the podcast, we do all our episodes in person. And so there's a lot of spreadsheets and coordinating that goes into getting guests booked, getting them scheduled, getting locations scheduled, making sure that they're properly prepped, making sure that the right hosts will be at the right places. And then prior to the interviews, researching and planning some notes and prep for the host. That's all the more boring stuff. There's also the editing of the actual episodes. There's all the day-to-day stuff, like the uploading of episodes to the hosting platform, the social content, writing copy. Have I gone on too long? No. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. So do you ever take on interns or do you have any support to help you with some of the, I mean, I'll just be very blunt, some of the grunt work that I do and that any podcaster has to do, and you've also got the video piece. 
Yeah. So I do have, I would be lost. There's no way I could do it all myself. First of all, I do a lot and I've done each piece, but I don't do it all myself at all. So I do have an editor that does a lot of the episodes for me. My hosts for the shorter shows have a lot of autonomy and they really do most of the scripting for their own content because they are experts in their areas. I have had different people help me with project management at different times. So far, I have found that the reliability piece hasn't been there with some of the virtual workers slash interns. And so I'm still working on that piece. Yeah. I've had really good luck with a number of the college students who have interned with me over the last year. I've only had one or two that were not as reliable as I needed them to be, but it's definitely a little bit of a gamble, especially when you've got a tight production schedule. I think one of the things that we talked about offline is the fact that not only do I live in Vermont, but I live in a town of 500. So there isn't a pool, and that's one of the challenges. There really isn't a good pool of local universities to pull from. So I end up working virtually, and that has a lot of challenges. Definitely. I would love for you to share, Marion, the story of how you came to think of the Spartan Up podcast and YouTube channel back in 2015. You knew Joe DeSina who is the founder of the Spartan Race. But where did that idea come from and how did you get it off the ground? So like most stories, there's a little bit of luck and a little bit of work and a little bit of preparation. I do live in this town of 500 people in Vermont. My background at the time, I did a lot of work in action sports television, although I had also done some documentary and advertising. When Joe DeSena moved to Pittsfield, Vermont, believe it or not, this little tiny town, we connected pretty early because he was very involved in endurance sports. And even though Spartan hadn't started yet, he was having events in his neighborhood. In fact, he ran from Central Park in New York to Pittsfield to raise money for a cause. I can't remember what. And I shot some video of him arriving in town. So we had met early. I had gradually been shooting more and more freelance projects, either about him or for him. And he was putting out a book, his first book called Spartan Up. And I was helping him with some promotion around that book. I was getting more into the marketing side of things. And he was getting on a lot of podcasts in order to promote the book. And he was realizing there was huge potential there. And a group of guys, they're called Barbell Shrugged. They came up to Vermont and they did a program with Joe. And when they left, he said, I think we should do a podcast. And it was really just that. And it probably could have gone nowhere. But I, again, grabbed that opportunity. And we started trying some different formats. We auditioned some different co-hosts. We at first had the four of them in the barn up in Vermont. And then we had the opportunity to get an interview with Richard Branson. And this was one of these crazy stories. Joe and his wife were invited to Richard Branson's island. Oh my gosh. And he, and he had it in his mind that 
he was going to find a way to do a podcast while he was there. So the three of us and all the equipment flew out there and then they dropped me at another little island with the equipment where I waited to see if Branson was going to decide that this was something he wanted to do. And he did. And so Joe came on the, you know, the motorboat and picked me up and we went to Branson's Island and carried the big box of microphones and microphone stands barefoot, you know, up the hill to his patio. And we got all set up there. And that's when we decided we weren't going to do the interviews with all four people that Joe would do a one-on-one interview. And then we would have the group of four hosts introduce it and discuss the lessons learned and how to implement them. And so that was kind of how we really knew we had something. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to get to go to Richard Branson's island and then to get the opportunity to sit down and tap into all of his life lessons. And I know your focus a lot is on the resilience piece. And he's got some great stories around resilience. It's still one of my favorite episodes. I mean, obviously, the things that he's done are really incredible, and he continues to do. But also the stories from his childhood about how he was raised with that resilience. Yes, I've actually read one of his books. It's great. And I should let our listeners know that I had the good fortune, thanks to Marion, to interview Joe DeSena. It's Time for Coffee, episode 51. And I don't want to spoil it, but there is something really unusual that happens in that interview that you should check out because it shocked me. So, <laughs> Marion, you know what it is. I don't want to give it away. Marion, I want to tap into another area of expertise that you have, and that is having watched and done all kinds of interviews yourself as a producer and doing oversight for the Spartan Up podcast, you have seen so many interviews over the course of your professional career. What would you say are the top five tips, doesn't even have to be five if it's three, that you could share with our young listeners for getting the best out of their guests, whether they start a podcast or a YouTube show or have a blog or whatever the case that may be? Yeah, I have. I don't want to say how long my career has been, but it's more than 30 years. And I have done many, many interviews from behind the camera for documentaries, for testimonials. So the first thing I would say is think about what kind of interview you want to do. And I've boiled it down to five kinds of interviews, five styles of interview. There's the curiosity-driven story-driven, journalistic, testimonial, and conversational. And probably whatever you're going to choose will be a combination of those, but I'll give you a quick definition. So the curiosity-driven is one where as an interviewer, you don't know where you're going to go, but you're going to follow the guest's lead and see what the questions lead to. This is something Larry King talks about doing a lot. There's the story-driven interview, and that's one where your guest has either accomplished something or has experienced or witnessed something, and you're going to facilitate the telling of that story. This would also be something to do with an oral history. It would be a lot of what happened next, what did you say then, 
what were you thinking? Another technique in that to help bring people back to that moment is to ask questions about their other senses. What did it smell like or look like or feel like? That will often help people come back to the moment when the experience happened. There's what I call the journalistic style interview. That's one where you don't know the answers your guests will give, but you know the questions you want to ask. You know the information you need to get. And that's one where you might be a little more pushy, more diligent. You might repeat the question because you really want to hold your guests accountable. There's the testimonial style interview. And this is where the more commercial application, you have a client or a customer and you want them to talk about your service or your product. And there's a bunch of techniques that you can use for that to get those to be natural. And then there's the conversational interview. And what I call the conversational interview is one where your audience cares as much about what you as the host have to say as they care about what the guest has to say. So somebody like Oprah, nobody's going to say, why did you interrupt? Why are you expressing your own opinion? We want to hear what the guest has to say. With somebody like Oprah or even somebody on the other end of the spectrum like Howard Stern, where the listeners are there as much to hear the host as the guest. So that's kind of the first thing is looking at those five kind of interviews and understanding where you fit in that spectrum. Yeah, that is a wonderful way to break it down. And our listeners can also go to your website, madmotion.com, to read various blogs that Marion has written that get into other aspects of doing a really powerful interview. So thank you so much for that, Marion. Or they can listen to you, Andrea, and just learn from your technique. Well, you're very sweet. Thank you. Marion, I would love to talk with you about your decision to move to this tiny town in Vermont where you are living right now. So often we hear about people, and you and I have certainly done that at various points in our career, where we have moved to another city or another state. In my case, I moved to other countries for a job. But you moved to Vermont for lifestyle reasons, and you didn't have the job piece locked in. How did you make it work? Well, the story is a little longer than than what I probably originally told you because I didn't want to get into all the details. Okay. I can tell you basically the first thing that I did was I bought a guidebook to ski areas in the United States, and I wrote letters to 20 or so of them and said, do you have any jobs that involve skiing and video production? And I actually got hired at Snowmass, sight unseen, and I went out and I lived there for a winter. And at that point, I started to do a little more research and found that there was a ski TV station in Killington, Vermont. When I called about the job, the manager kept repeating, you understand how little this job pays. You understand that it's a seasonal job. You understand that it's a part-time job. And I actually pulled the old move of pretending I was going to be in town anyway to come (laughs) interview for the job. (laughs) So I happened to be coming there and interviewed for the job and finally got it. But again, it wasn't enough to really support me. 
it was about living in Vermont. And the interesting thing too was leaving New York, my colleagues in New York, they would say, but what are you going to do? Because there was that sense that if you were going to be in TV, you were going to be in New York. So what did you do? You had that part-time gig. I assume you got that job at Killington. I did. Yep. Yep. So, Although the guy that hired me left six months later. Yeah. That's always like that, oh shit moment. Like, what am I going to do? And that's when the hustling sort of started. I mean, I guess I had always done that, but working freelance... The great thing I learned about freelance is, you know, some of the basics for any job hold. You have to always show up early, overprepared. But the thing about freelance is if you underperform or you even just do the bare minimum, nobody has to fire you. They just don't call you next time. And so you really need to exceed expectations every time in order to get called back. And I would say 60% of that is about performing your job well. And the other 40% is just about being pleasant and reliable to work with. So I just started hustling up work. I got a lot of freelance jobs. I have done pretty much anything to do with video and audio production that you can name. And so did you, I mean, in those days, you mentioned writing a letter, right? The internet wasn't around, cell phones (laughs) weren't around. So did you just like start driving around to some of the big cities to say the big cities in Vermont, you know, quote unquote, air quotes to say, hey, I do video company XYZ. I am available to do pretty much anything you need. How did you spread the word? That you were available. Almost any time I did those kinds of activities, it didn't work. It really was a slow and gradual organic process of exceeding expectations. This was also before cell phones. So with freelance, the job comes and the first person to answer the call gets the job. So a producer is going to call 10 people and the first one to call back and say yes is the one that gets the job. So even when I was on a shoot, I would stop and check my answering machine from a payphone two or three times a day so that I could call back and say yes to whatever the job was. And you just always take the job and you always exceed the expectations and the word spreads. And I had a particular expertise in shooting in the snow and outdoors. And it was a small community. And I started to get more and more work in that area. And then I expanded and I started producing commercials. Vermont is a great state in that sense that it's small enough that you don't have to have too tight of a niche. So I was able to kind of build a production company and do commercials for Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Vermont and work with Vermont Tourism, work with Vermont Lottery, some of the bigger clients in Vermont eventually, and even produce documentary film. I was able to work in a lot of different areas, but even when I was working with the bigger clients, I would still take a day rate job for a camera person friend of mine to carry their gear or run their audio. So it's just a lot of putting pieces together and hustling is the way to support yourself and now to support my family. 
in a rural community. What a great story, Marianne. So let's flash back to when you were an undergrad. You graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts and you got a BFA in filmmaking. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I had no idea. I was the youngest of three kids. Both of my older brothers were English majors, and I saw that that didn't mean they wrote or taught English. So it didn't occur to me really that what you went to college for was what you would do for a job. But the reality was that I started working in film before I graduated, and I have been supporting myself and now my family in this business in one way or another, podcasting as well, photography, marketing, but all of these related fields that all have to do with messaging, really. But I've been doing that since before I graduated. That is really incredible. So you had no clue what you were going to do. And yet... (laughs) That is what you have done, which is actually somewhat unusual, at least in my experience. I've interviewed about 150 people on Time for Coffee, which compared to Spartan Up is a drop in the bucket. But about 90% of the people that I've interviewed, Marion, had no idea what they were going to do with their degree. And most of them didn't go into the profession that they studied. You know, it is one of the only careers that would have held my interest for so long because of the variety of work that I've been able to do in this career. And the other thing is that I truly believe that the way you guide your life is you look at all the opportunities that are in front of you at the moment and you pick the one that seems like it will move you the furthest towards your goal or your interest. And it might be as simple as Am I going to answer the phone at a advertising agency or at a fish market? And the fish market may pay more. But if those are the two choices you have and you want to be in film or advertising, answer the phone at the agency. And you just keep following the doors that open and going through the ones that are more directed to your career choice and you will end up in the right place. A hundred percent. And the way that I have described this to various folks, I may have even done it on the podcast, but is to say that if you think of your professional life and the careers that you will have, and thank you so much, Workman Next Door, for starting to hammer even louder. But if you think about your career as if you were crossing a river from one bank to the other, There are going to be various stones that are scattered across, and it's obviously a low river so that you can walk through it, but you're hopping from one rock or one stone to the other, and sometimes that rock or stone is off to the left, sometimes it's off to the right, but so long as you're progressing forward, that's fine. And even the rocks that are slippery and that end up being bad experiences, if I continue with that analogy, you will get where you need to go. And often there are some incredibly valuable experiences that come from that slippery rock, which leads me to my next question, Marion. And I have these two final questions left for you that I try to ask all my guests. And that is if you could share a time in your professional life 
when you really struggled. In my case, I've had a bazillion examples. I was fired twice in my 40s. It totally sucked, but turned out to be unexpected gifts that helped me to move in different directions professionally. Was there a particular time in your career in which you really hit a wall or fell down? And could you share more importantly, how you persevered and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process? Yeah, I mean, I think that working freelance is a roller coaster and those sort of slippery rocks that end up, you know, with you falling in the water come up a lot because every day, every week, every month, you are pitching for jobs and you have to accept the fact that most of them you won't get. And that can be frustrating and you can take it personally and it can really set you back. For me, I think a pivotal time was, I told you the story of coming to Vermont, going to work at Killington. I left that job I left the job because there was new management, we weren't aligned, and I found I was really unhappy with the person I was becoming because I wasn't a good fit for the goals that were running, you know, the goals of the people who were running the station. Mm -hmm. So I left. I wasn't actually fired, although it probably would have been coming soon, but I really had to sit down and ask myself, do I want to live in Vermont? Or do I want to work in television? And I thought that was the choice. And I decided that I wanted to live in Vermont. I actually was spent the summer making sandwiches at a local store. But the truth is, I would never have been happy not doing television, not doing video. And within a few months, an offer came in. Somebody had heard I was available, was starting an agency, needed in-house production, and it happened to be 20 minutes from where I was. So I haven't questioned my career choice since then, but I will say the most important thing you can learn is not to take things personally. It's not easy. And this is not just in looking for jobs or getting fired from jobs, but producing video or podcasts, you put your heart and soul into it. It's a creative endeavor. And If you're doing it professionally, it means you're doing it for a client. And that means you are not the ultimate decider of what the goals, what the product should be like. And so you have to really be comfortable with creating something and having your client ask for changes and just making those changes. And if you really feel strongly, you know, explain why you think things shouldn't change. But for the most part, the changes make it better. But just being able to set that ego aside, it's incredibly difficult, but it's the best thing you can do in a creative profession to move your career forward, I think. Yes. And I would say even outside creative professions, you will at times benefit from swallowing your pride and just being open to changes or feedback that you may not necessarily agree with, but because that is where you are in the pecking order of a company's hierarchy and your boss wants you to do it a particular way, you got to learn to do it. You got to learn to do it or leave 
or leave. So I think that is great advice, Marion. Final time for coffee question. If you could go back to college, back to NYU and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would say if I was back in the film program at NYU, the two things that I would probably change based on what I know now is I would be much more social. I would make much more of an effort to connect and learn from my colleagues there. I think that the best advice I ever heard about networking is that networking isn't something you do with people who are ahead of you in the careers or behind you in their careers. Networking is something you do with your peers, your friends, your colleagues, because then that network spreads out and they're all going to be in other jobs and you're going to have an opportunity to help each other. So I would have been more actively social with my peers and I would have taken every opportunity available to get my hands on the equipment. The last thing, now that I'm saying this, I actually really wanted to be a cinematographer, videographer, DP. I wanted to be the person behind the camera. And I took a class that was a production class and we would split into groups and produce these projects. And somebody would have a script and they would pick their crew. And I remember that one of my classmates had a script. It seemed interesting to me. And he said, who wants to be a videographer? I said, or a cinematographer, I think at the time it was film. And I said, well, I would love to do it. I don't know a lot, but I think this would be a great chance for us to learn together. And a young man in the class said, I'm great at it. I'll do it. I ended up editing because that's what no one else wanted to do. And when I looked at the end result, I saw that I actually knew more than the guy who shot it and I would have done a better job. And so humility is important, but sometimes confidence is important too. Oh my goodness. That is such a great story, Marion. And I think that there is data out there that shows that women in general tend to undersell ourselves. So I'm sure that I've done that at times. And what an important lesson to learn and for our young female listeners to internalize that maybe being less harsh on ourselves and leaning into it more, as Sheryl Sandberg would say, is a muscle that we need to work on. Marion, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I am so grateful that when I sat down next to you at Podcasting Movement 18 last summer and just started up a conversation with you that I did that because I would not be here today having this virtual conversation with you, learning from you and getting to continue this relationship that we've started because you are such a cool lady with so much wisdom and having lived such a cool and unconventional life. I think it's a wonderful example to be sharing with the Time for Coffee community. Well, I hope it's helpful to people that listen. I mean, really, the lesson is just find what you like to do and find a way to do it. Don't worry about what other people have done. And I think our conversation is a perfect example of 
preparation meets serendipity. You know, you sat down at the same table, but we were also at the same conference and we were aligned and we were having those conversations and curious about the same things. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much and continued good fortune and success in Spartan Up and all that you do, Marian. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.